The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Where is the buried treasure in your business? I'm talking about the money that you don't even realize is out there. The money under the mattress, the money that's buried somewhere secret. To answer that question, intellectual property attorney, Russ Riddle. Russ, welcome to the show. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. Hey, good, man. So uh, how you been? Nice to have you. Nice to nice to visit. Yeah, always is. Hey, what's the weather like out there, man? Well, it's better than probably where you are. Put it like that. So, so let's let's talk about this. So, uh, so you you deal in uh, intellectual property assets. Tell us real quick what is that? Because there is buried treasure in almost every business. Most businesses uh, they don't understand these assets. They undervalue them. Accountants have a mechanism for how they account for them. They don't always get it right. Uh, and certainly, it's not a market value anyway. It doesn't really matter. But go ahead, just give us a little background. Well, intellectual property is is what it sounds like. I mean, it's it's products property that has come f- from the mind. Uh, you have different types of intellectual property. You have copyrights. Uh, that's dealing mainly with content, uh, not just words, but content of different types. Uh, you have trademarks, which are really uh, people say brand, and then that's part of it. Uh, but your trademark is an indicator of source. You see a particular trademark and you know where that's where that product or service comes from. Then you have trade secrets. Uh, companies sometimes have trade secrets that give them a competitive advantage. I mean, most famous trade secrets, probably the Coca-Cola formula, uh, as an example. And then you have patents, which are inventions, basically. Well, so, all right, so let, let, well let's kind of dig into each one of those, uh, you know, over time here. But in your experience as an attorney, and, and let me just say that, Russ's great background. I mean, where he comes from. I uh, remember, uh, you know, for those of you that are, uh, you know, 40 or so or older, if you have any kids, they used to watch that horrible purple dinosaur all those years ago that, that <laughs> sang that crazy, annoying song. Uh, Russ was the attorney. The in, You were on the inside at that time, right? Right. And, in-house counsel. Right. And, and you put together all those deals where uh, Barney's picture got put on diapers and toothbrushes and... I don't know, maybe cereal boxes. Right. It was a huge licensing program we had, both domestic here in the in the states, but also all over the world. So, okay, so 
So you've got some pretty good cred here in this in this area, just because, I mean, to be able to run a $500 million, whatever empire that was, and to be able to set it up for them, that's pretty good. Do you think that most companies are doing the best they can in terms of licensing content, or, or do they have opportunity? And could you go into that a little bit? I think they've got lots of opportunity that they haven't even tapped. Um, most small, medium-sized businesses in particular, they are so day-by-day day trying to make the, the business work, selling widgets, selling services, whatever it is, and they, they, they don't take the time, they don't feel like they have the time to look away from the daily thing to say, what else do we have that we could repurpose? What do we have that we haven't leveraged? What could we license out? What, what is it that people want more of from us. And, and most of the answers to those questions uh, is in that category of intellectual property, uh, because you have content that is, is proprietary. Uh, you can repurpose that in all, all kinds of ways. If you've got a, a, a brand like Barney, uh, you know, we also did Bob the Builder, Thomas the Tank Engine, you know, those are strong brands. And everybody wanted uh, a picture of Barney on this. You, you name some of them. We had any kind of uh, a product out there, a licensed product that we thought was consistent with the message we wanted Barney to be about. You know, obviously it's it's a children's, well, it's a children's friendly show, so that, you, that limits right there uh, some of the things that you would would just be totally hands off, not going to license. But I mean, we we had people asking permission to put Barney on their infant's gravestone. Uh, all kinds of things. Well, well, I mean, look, you know, you knew who your market was. That was for sure. And you, you right. children's products. When, when the thing first came out, it was real cute. After a while, it got kind of old you know, to, to us parents, but the kids never got tired of it. They kept them busy in front of the TV for hours. And, and I guess that's whatever. That's right. That's right. So, you know, I, I have adults all the time tell me they can't stand Barney. And, they, and I say, well, you're not supposed to stand Barney. That, it wasn't. <laughs> Barney wasn't for you. It was for your children and your grandchildren. And if you are just a, a freak over Barney, then then maybe you are a freak because it's, <laughs> it was never aimed at you. You weren't the target market. Well, let's so let's take some of the lessons from uh, that experience and let's apply them into the uh, you know the middle market kind of operations that that so many of the listeners here uh, have. I mean, intellectual property. Does that mean that it's a digital asset? Uh, that it's that it or does it ever make it to paper? Does it ever make it uh, you know into a book? I mean, how does that how does it work? Well, it depends. I mean, there's 45 classes of goods and services in the, in the trademark office. So you know, anything from industrial solvents uh, to books to live performances, the whole gamut of anything you can find in the market is classified in one of those 45 classes of goods and services. I take, for instance, the speaking industry. I have a lot of clients in the speaking industry. Class 41 is what they do live, whether it's on a platform in a keynote or if it's in a workshop. Uh, but they also have books, kind of, you know, written products. Yeah, so it hits the paper in that regard. You, you still have hard copy books. Uh, as well as ebooks, obviously. So the answer is yes. It, it's it's a lot of it's going digital, uh, but there's still hard uh, types of products to hold in your hand that are very valuable. You know, class nine's another example. That was the old CDs and DVDs used to be VHS tapes. Oh, guess what? Those are digital MP3s and MP4s now, audio only or, or videos. And the reason they're in the same class 
is because just like you take your your CD and play it wherever you wanted to play it, uh, if if those MP3s and MP4s are downloadable, you put them on your device, and just like the CD, you're carrying that device wherever you want to go. So it's the same kind of product, although technology has changed the way it's delivered. So the the end form isn't really the important part. It's it's the content. We're talking right. about content. Yeah, if you're in copyright, yeah, it's about content. You know, there's how many books about um, uh, making money or how many books about leadership. Pick any category. But some of those books are better than other books so, because each, you know, you can't have a copyright on leadership or an idea about leadership, but you can have copyright over your expression of that. Joel Block's expression of, of what he thinks about leadership, that's valuable stuff. Uh, you know, that's, that's the wares of John Maxwell, Tony Robbins, all those people is their content. And, and sometimes uh, like a pharmaceutical company that invents a drug, uh, they have a recipe. That recipe then, but that's not a copyright, that's a patent. Usually uh, the pharmaceuticals are, are in the patent side of things. And, and you know, again, they're, they're creations. There are different types of patents. Uh, some are utility patents, uh, which means they're useful. Some are, um, you know, the design patents are about the look of the thing. But, yeah, a lot of pharmacy uh, products have patents. And those run for a certain number of years only. Patent, uh, the, the duration of a patent is much shorter than trademarks or copyrights. Uh, it, well, if the trademark is properly renewed. But a copyright, for instance, it's good for the creator in 70 years uh, after he or she dies. Uh, patents are like, you know, 20 years, 14 years. It depends on the types of patent. Um, but yeah, pharmacy would be more on the patent side, I think. Well, like I've heard that these pharmaceutical companies, they might only really get 10 years out of their patent because they they file for the patent early in the cycle. Right. And then they're doing all this testing. So the product may not release for some number of years. Yeah, so they got to get FDA approval. and Right. And, you know, sometimes it's not a new thing. It's uh, a new application of something that's already out there. Uh, they get, you know, it's very high standard to get a patent. They don't do, they just don't throw patents willy nilly. But trademarks, no problem. I mean, if it's a unique thing, trademarks are easier. If it's a unique thing in your market space, in you know your industry, and particularly one of those classes I've mentioned, the forty-five classes, like you could have two names. Uh, for two, two totally different products and different classes. For instance, Apple uh, for computers and iPhones and that sort of thing. But the Beatles uh, record label was also Apple. So you've got Apple and Apple, but they're, they're very different because they're in different classes of goods and services. And so they're, they're not likely to be confused by consumers. Right. And that, and you're, you're spot on there, Joel. That's the test. Uh, that's the test that the trademark office applies, whether they're going to grant it or not. Is, is there a, poss- a potential for likelihood? Uh, that's, that's the test, likelihood of confusion. Uh, and if they think there, there is, then they'll refuse to register it. And we sometimes argue with them and, and overcome that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, they don't want confusion in the marketplace because, again, a trademark is an indicator of source. Uh, you see the golden arches uh, on the road. You know who that is. You know what that burger tastes like. You may or may not like that burger, but you know who puts it out. You know what it tastes like every time. Uh, that's the idea of a branded uh, logo 
trademark. Uh, so people know what they're getting. And we as consumers rely on those all the time. Uh, take, for example, uh, you mentioned Barney, but let's take one uh, that's broader in programming like Disney. Uh, you go <clears throat> to buy something for a grandchild or, or for your daughter to take to a birthday party. Uh, you see the, the Disney word on it. You don't feel like you have to go home and preview that that video, even though you've not seen it, uh, because you're relying on that indicator of source, that scripted Disney that we're all so familiar with. That's a very strong brand, very strong. So in other words, it's going to be high quality. It's not going to have uh, objectionable content. Right. On balance, it's going to be wholesome and family friendly. That's what you want to know when you see that's what you think of when you see Disney. Yeah. So that, you know what, that's, uh, I hadn't really thought about Disney in that way. I mean, I think about other things, but I hadn't thought about uh, Disney that way. So how do companies take inventory of what they have and figure out how to better optimize the use of these assets? Well, a lot of times it's right in front of their face. Sometimes, uh, you know, it's, they've got a particular program that maybe they're a technology company and they've got a program that they call, you know, X, Y, Z. Uh, and they are selling that and licensing that, but they haven't stopped to think, well, you know, what am I, you know, I really want to protect that, that word or that logo or that title, because that's, that's gotten goodwill in the marketplace. That's made us lots of money in the marketplace. And I, I don't want people, other people, uh, taking that brand or that moniker and trading off of it. I need to protect that mark. Uh, it's, you know, that's a little bit separate from the sale of a license of the program itself. So, uh, so let's, let's, let's separate these because okay. the first one that that's pretty substantial that I've got a lot invested in having a really good uh, brand in the marketplace and you don't want somebody else to bastardize that by right. fooling around with it. So <clears throat> exactly. that, would be, that would be a reason to protect uh, your, your interest in your, in your brand. Yeah, you've got all kinds of imitators out there. You know, they want uh, they want to conjure that up in people's minds so that they purchase it. And, and lo and behold, it's not even the same company. It's not the same quality. Well, that, that, that speaks to exactly the confusion thing, that they, they deliberately will confuse a person to, to ride on their brand equity and then right. profit to themselves, which is exactly what the law is designed to prevent. Yeah, they, you you got people out there wanting to pass off their products uh, as Apple, pass off their products as Disney when in fact it's not. Uh, and so you you have a lot more teeth in enforcing that uh, that brand that they can't do that if you have it registered with the trademark office. So I mean, and, and some some of what you're talking about though, it's not always counterfeit. Like sometimes there's counterfeit where you you right. deliberately do something. But there's also a way that I've seen people do it where they just kind of confuse you and make you think it's one company, different product, different everything, but you think it's one thing, but it's really not, right? Right. Yeah, you know how I said when you're just driving, you're not even thinking about that, the, the, the golden arches. Uh, you know, you don't have to think. You just see that at McDonald's, okay? If our brands get that kind of distinction in the marketplace, then these people that want to trade off of that are banking on the fact that you're not going to look at it too closely. It's going to be just enough to make you think, oh, I, I saw political uh, posters and, and yard signs not long ago. Uh, there was a, a guy named Ray something, uh, and he did the, the font and all just like Ray-Ban sunglasses font. 
he was, you know, that obviously he's not in the sunglasses market. So I'm not saying that's the same thing you and I were just talking about, but he clearly wanted them. You know, when you, you go to the voting polls, you see a, a bunch of names, which one stands out to you? Well, that one may now stand out to you because subconsciously uh, that Ray-Ban look, uh, it, oh, I, I've seen that before. I'll vote for him. Uh, and the same thing happens in the marketplace. Oh, that's good stuff. I'll buy one of those. What if, uh, you know, so we got the golden arches. And what's amazing about that one is that there isn't hardly a two-year-old in this country. They can't read uh, out of a book. But every one of them recognize what that is, which, which is the early stages of reading. I mean, I'm not a teacher, but I, I imagine that's the beginning of how we learn how to read. We, we see a symbol. What right. if somebody took the shape of those arches, instead of being gold, made them yellow or made them off yellow or made them. And, and that's confusing. That that kind of goes back to oh, McDonald's would be all over them in a heartbeat, it, particularly if they're in the fast food industry. You so know, it's the shape, it's the it's it's the it's the color, it's all those things are described in the mark. Right. Sometimes, you know, word word marks is just what it sounds like. Uh, it's a word or a, a short phrase or something, just the text, no particular look. That's a trademark and you can register as a word mark. But you also have those fanciful stylized ones and, and the examples we've been talking about, uh, the scripted Disney. It's not just the word Disney. It's how it's written. In, in yeah. person, right? uh, you know, it's not just uh, a certain uh, M I mean, it is a certain M as opposed to just a generic M. So those are stylized as opposed to the word marks. Both have value. Uh, But trademarks are all about gaining distinction in the marketplace. So while the word mark might give you broad protection because you're not tied to any particular color, any particular font, you you can play with it all you want, where you're more restricted when you have a certain look that certain colors and all of that. But which one gets faster distinction in the marketplace? Probably the stylized look, because like you said, kids can't read. They don't know that's an M. They just know that means French fries. You know? <laughs> it's, it's I don't so, know they think about the French fries. They want the toy. Yeah, the toy, the, the French fries and the milkshake that they drink about five you know, gulps of and waste the rest. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know about the two-year-olds taking gulps. I think, I think that happens as teenagers, you know. <laughs> but uh, let's go back. Let's let's keep looking. How do business owners and executives find the gold in their companies? I mean, how do you determine what would be a suitable product to either license or to put into uh, some other well, capacity? You go in there and you think, okay, this has served us well in this particular market. We've, we've sold, you know, X, X dollars worth. What, sit back and say, what other industries could benefit from this? What other regions, countries, cities, you know, what, you know however you want to look at it, uh, whether it's on a geographical basis or if it's on an industry basis. Uh, what if we took this particular program uh, technology and applied it to something totally different. Uh, and then you tap into a, a whole new market in that way. That's one way to do it. Uh, sometimes you, you have content that you're selling, uh, but you have other people that, that they want to license it. They want to either resell it or they want to uh, utilize it within their company throughout their, uh, their staffs, their, their employees. 
Uh, you just you, you have to kind of put your creative hat on and go, okay, we're doing very well or we're doing so-so in this market and what we do, this is what we're doing. But what else can we do with our, our proprietary materials, our intellect, a, our, whether it's a copyright, a, an invention, which is patent, or if it's a trademark, uh, what could we also brand this for? Uh, you, you know, one of the one of the strong trademarks too is uh, chicken soup for the soul, and those guys, oh my goodness, they, they have just about any particular subject matter, topic, interest, hobby you can think of. They have parlayed that chicken soup for the soul for that, and and it's it's been incredible for them in terms of different streams of revenue. And, and now you may not even know this, Joel. Take that company for instance. They have taken the Chicken Soup for the Soul brand, and they have pet food now. They have television now. They have all kinds of things. Where they started out as one little book, feel-good stories that a couple of authors thought was good for the world, uh, and, and they then leveraged that. It goes right to your question. What if they stopped there? Uh, you know, yeah. they, they took that and parlayed it in every direction they could think. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you something. I'll give you a little backstory uh, to that one because I, I happen to know one of the two guys uh, pretty well personally, and uh, they were Hansel, they were early Hansel. state authors in the early '90s when this all happened. They were, you know, kind of broke or whatever their problem was, and they found a publisher. They went to a whole bunch. They all got turned down, and finally they get one. And the guy takes this horrific bite out of their deal and left them with hardly anything. So they do this deal. And they made almost nothing on all the book sales, 100 million plus books. And they made hardly anything on the books because they gave away the book rights because they were so hungry at the time. And hungry people have a hard time negotiating. Right. So, they but they did have they the right advantage of their name and their, and their subsequent products. So they what they did very smartly was they turned the subsequent products into the business and just let the, the book stuff kind of go. And so they, they, they wanted the book thing to happen because the book thing drove the rest of the, the engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, use the book as the gasoline and the rest of the stuff happened. And that's sort of, you know, listen, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. They needed another revenue stream, another way to drive revenue. And because they didn't have their primary source and that's what they did. And look what ended up happening. It was brilliant. Right. Right. Sometimes the most lucrative aspect of your business came from a second thought. Yeah. And they ended up hiring a franchise guy, a licensing guy, I and mean, they hired people to actually go out and think of ideas probably much like what Barney did. Once it became a brand that people wanted to be attached to, they started hiring people like you to oversee their programs, to expand their programs and to turn it into a real business. Yeah. I mean, it started out, you know, little Texas town in North, North central Texas, uh, three backyard videos uh, that the family of the lady that invented Barney, they, they, they bankrolled three videos that were filmed literally in her backyard. And, uh, and and it caught on. They were onto something. And then, you know, PBS picked it up and the rest was history. I mean, you it, know, uh, it's what I love about uh, the American system. It's what I love about our capitalist system. It's what I love about the entrepreneur lifestyle. It's a uh, the sky's the limit. Anybody can do anything that they want. If you got a good idea, if you solve a problem, if you fill a need, anybody right. can do anything that they want. You just got to make sure you're properly supervised. Uh, by a professional like yourself. And I always think that the way that we get to great answers by asking good questions, you put a couple of really good questions on the table a few minutes ago about where to look, who some prospective customers are, 
What are really the valuable assets that you have? And you listen, you might need a consultant or somebody to help you. It might be an attorney. It might be a business consultant, somebody to help you kind of dig around and find this stuff. But these assets, I call it buried treasure on purpose because right. these assets are buried. And, you know, if they were, if they were obvious, uh, you know, then they'd be worth something. But a lot of times uh, the ones that are buried are worth the most. Right. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, uh, even the ones that aren't still buried after they're unearthed, if you will, launched, uh, companies make them have the mistaken belief that they've got it all buttoned up, you know, that they own that and, and, and the chain of title is clear and, and they can sell it. What, and then what happens, you know, you're, you're close to mergers and acquisitions all the time. Uh, they, a potential purchaser is going to come in and do an audit, not just of the books, but of the assets. And they'll take a hard look at the intellectual property assets. And, you know, there's things like who created it? Was it an employee or was it an independent contractor? And that makes a big difference yeah. in, in the law. And a lot of companies, they're so, they've got their pedal to the metal. They're, they're giving it all the gas they can just to, you know, keep the revenue thing, keep payroll paid and all those things. And they don't take the time. Uh, to get the expertise in to, to make them shore up those assets. You know, what, what you're talking about uh, is, is the old Midas muffler or the Fram oil. Oh, it's the Fram oil filter, not Midas. It's Fram. Pay me now or pay me later. You know, if you don't lock down some of your agreements, like, for example, these independent contractor kinds of deals, uh, I've learned from you, you got to have these independent contractor agreements signed where they, they title over their work to you and you have that done properly. If you don't get it done and pay for it to happen now, then when the thing is worth 10 or 50 or 100 times more in the future, you're going to be over the barrel in a real problem. Right. And, and you know, when you hit success with your, your, your brand, your product, your service, whatever it is, the cockroaches come out of the woodwork. I, I can't tell you how many people claimed to have created Barney after it was a big deal on PBS. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I invented Barney. Oh, really? You know? <laughs> so, so you, if you don't have all the I's dotted and the T's crossed and, you know, you might have, have a real issue later. You can't sell the assets because the, there's no clear chain of title. You, you know, you think you own it when you don't. Uh, you know, by the way, uh, you know, as an intellectual property attorney, you're talking about, you know, people talking about chain of title and assets. If you were an estate attorney, we'd be talking about cockroaches coming out saying that they're all relatives <laughs> who, are, who are promised uh, an interest true. in the will, right? That's true. Yep. Oh, oh I was, I was uncle uh, Joel's favorite nephew. Oh yeah. When's the last time laid eyes on you? Yeah. Same thing happens in, in all businesses. I mean, they want a piece of it whenever it gets big and that's when, you know, all, all business owners, uh, most business consultants uh, advise, look, you need to build your business with the exit in mind because, uh, you know, one day someone's going to come swallow you up or you're going to want to liquidate or whatever the motivator is. But if you don't have the paper in place and you haven't properly preserved the legal rights in those uh, assets, you got a problem. And sometimes those problems can't be undone can be fixed. Yeah, that could be painful. So listen, Russ, thank you very much. This has been a really uh, interesting deep dive. This is the inside track really on how protection happens, how you really analyze and look at some of your uh, your assets on that balance sheet of yours and how you find some buried treasure. 
And that's really what profit from the inside is about, is profiting from things that are right there. And this is the inside track. So Russ, thanks for sharing that. Your information, your contact info is in the show notes. And uh, anybody who wants to get a hold of Russ, please do. He's, a, he's an awesome guy. He's a personal friend. Uh, we act on a national board of directors together. So feel free to reach out. So Russ, thanks very much for, for joining us here today and for sharing what you know. My pleasure, Joel. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the Inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.